In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning and welcome again, both online and here in the room. My name is Peter. I also am one of the priests here at Church of the Cross. Yes, we're talking about Romans 13. Of all the readings we had this morning, it's that one we're focusing on. The celebrated 2018 novel, The Overstory, by Richard Powers, tells the story of nine different human characters, their hopes and dreams, their development, the arc and span of their lives. But these stories, as important as they might be, are not ultimately the point. As the title suggests, there is a higher, deeper greater story that the novel also tells, a story in which those nine different human narratives are themselves embedded, under which those stories take place, upon which they are dependent. I'll say no more in case you'd like to read the novel, and I don't want to spoil it for you, but I think this idea of a deeper or richer story, an overstory, is a helpful lens for our reading today from Romans 13. The first seven verses of our reading speak to the Christian relationship with governing authorities. They're among the clearest passages in the Bible dealing with this topic. They outline how a gospel community is to relate to the state, even in a limited way. That is obviously not a very simple topic. But in the time we have this morning, I hope This passage will shed some light for us. And beyond the immediate kind of questions related to the government and our relationship and do we really have to pay taxes, more than that, I hope we would grow together in a sense of the way that our lives are bound up in God's rich and deep, grand and gracious overstory. As we look at the first seven verses of Romans 13, I want to focus on three interrelated words. These words are translated in your bulletin this morning, be subject, rebel against, and established. All three are found in verses one and two, and all three share in the original language something of a relationship. It means to arrange or bring about an order, to put into place established or put into place the whole of creation. The word then to be subject is the word hupotasso, combining the word for established with the preposition for under or below. To be subject is to be under what has been established, to submit to what is. It's to live in line with what God has purposed and put in place. The third and final word, rebel against, is antitasso. I think you can understand what it's getting at. That is, it means to move against, to be in opposition to what has been put in place, arranged or established. Anti. The call, therefore, that Paul is making here to Christians in Rome and Christians in Austin is to live under the order that God has established, to not act against, transgress, oppose, what God has set in place. 
I know some of you here have experienced woodworking. I don't have a great deal of experience in that, but I know that when you have a piece of wood, when you're working with a piece of wood, you have to consider the grain of the piece. You have to consider which way the grain is running and work with the grain. Hupo tasso, be submitted to the grain of what it is. And to cut against the grain is to move against what has been established. It's a difficult thing. It does not often work out well. That same idea here exists in Paul's use of these words. The interrelatedness of these words is important for understanding what he's saying here. His charge is to live in line with the purposes that God has established in creation. And a part of what has been established, he says, are governing authorities. We would call the government State authorities, public servants, those invested with temporal power, specifically the power of public justice, as Paul outlines in verses 4 and 5. Esau Macaulay, in his book, Reading Wild Black, has pointed out that Roman soldiers, in the context into which Paul was reading, very functioned in a similar way as modern-day police. God's authorities in some way established for our good. Those in Christ, he says, are to be subject to such authorities because their place is established, rooted in God's purposes. The ultimate hope, the ultimate intent of Paul's writing here is not obedience out of fear, as verse 5 makes clear, but out of submission, subjection to God's living in line with God's purposes. Is part of our identity as those in Christ, unified with God's will, living in the power of the Spirit, we're to live in line with what God has put in place. Public authorities, Paul is saying here, are part of God's good ordering of creation. They are God's servants, as he writes three times, instruments of his purpose. In century England, there was this concept of the royal touch. It was the belief that the king or queen was able to offer physical and spiritual healing, God's healing, simply through their touch. To be touched by the reigning monarch was a means of receiving God's grace. That's obviously taking things a bit far, but that strange to our modern ears conviction is illustrative of Paul's teaching here, that governing authorities exist to serve God's purposes. They're his servants. His deacons is the word, quite literally, in existence for his purposes of shalom and blessing. This kind of language, and the placing here of the governing authorities in the context of God's purposes for all creation, does a couple of important things for us. First, It sets governing authorities under God. In this way, such powers are actually diminished. There is a consistent temptation by those who hold such power and by those under authorities who hold power to see that power as ultimate, as the most important, the most preeminent thing. That's a temptation no less for us today than it was living in Rome. To see our governing authorities, our leaders, our political parties as paramount and preeminent. 
This, this is an aside. This is why I think it's so difficult for some of us to admit loss, admit defeat in elections, because we see them as the preeminent mode of power. Who is in power is the most important thing for us. But Paul's language here sublimates the President of the United States, the the Secretary General of the United Nations. They they don't have much real power, it's true. (laughs) But they are sublimated, every governing power, to the purposes and plans of the Lord. And his language here gives us this richer vision of the powers we regularly interact with. New Testament scholar Beverly Govenda writing about this says, these authorities, human authorities that we meet, do not belong to themselves. Any authority, any power you encounter is derived from God's ordering of creation, his sovereignty over all things. So no civic authority then has a claim of your total allegiance. No governing authority takes ultimate precedence in the life of one who is in Christ. Our mayor, city council members, state representatives, senators, our sheriffs and local police are understood as God's servants put in place for our good, as verse four declares. This leads to a second thing to keep in mind. Even as Paul's teaching calls those in Christ, calls us, shaped by the gospel, to be subject to governing authorities Limits are here put in place. Limits around these authorities. They exist for the purposes of God, for the good of others who are under their power and influence. To summarize, government exists as a part of God's purposes for his creation, for the flourishing of human society, for the common good, an incredibly complicated task But specifically, Paul writes here, for the purposes of justice, restraining and punishing wrongdoing, cultivating virtue in a society. These are the reason Paul, this is the reason Paul gives for God's establishing of civic authority. That's the end to which they're put. But very early on in the church's reading of this passage, this passage, Romans 13, began to be read in conjunction with other passages of Scripture. Chapters in the book of Revelation, whole swaths of the prophetic books in the Old Testament, even Acts chapter 5, an example where the apostles declare to public officials, we must obey God and not human beings. The early church teacher Origen pointed to that declaration as a limiting principle around what Paul teaches here, as authority For governing, as the power that governing authorities has is derived and intended for a specific purpose, there are limitations around what good governance looks like. And there are limitations around what Christians can and should submit to. When governing authorities step outside their God-established purposes, as they inevitably do in a fallen world, think of your favorite politician, they're going to do this. As authorities do such things, they themselves are subject to God's judgment. And that is simply put a revolutionary thought. It is the declaration that might does not make right. That those in authority do not have a blank check to act as they see fit. Limitations, whether they are acknowledged or not, exist for those in power. At this moment, in our context, we live 
where there are codified limitations around the state's power. There's a system of checks and balances. There are specific freedoms related to advocacy, to protest, influencing governing authorities. Just yesterday, there were marches in the Capitol, at the Capitol and throughout the state, seeking to influence our legislature. That our system allows for such expression is a good thing. But even if such measures did not exist, even if there were no term limits or elections, those in power would be accountable to the living God, subject to his justice, his judgment, in the end and in the midst of history. Earlier on in Romans, in chapter 9, the Apostle Paul brings up Pharaoh, Pharaoh in Egypt, and he uses him as an example of a power that is overthrown for the glory of God. Paul's statement builds on what we read in Exodus, where because of economic exploitation, the enslavement and oppression of sojourners in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh is overthrown by God. And through human agents, right? Like Moses is an active participant in the overthrowing of Pharaoh. There's a limitation in history to what is owed to those in authority. It is an act of love. It is an act of faithfulness to hold those in authority above us accountable. To, yes, acknowledge their God-given place, pray for them because of the complicated nature of their task, but also call them to act in line with their God-given purposes, to resist, to name evil when we see it. This is a prophetic part of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be the church. And there are obvious examples of this in recent memory. The Barman Declaration is this amazing statement made by German Christians living under the Third Reich who said, we cannot acquiesce to the allegiance that you are requiring of us because that allegiance is owed to God alone. Fannie Lou Hamer is a crusader in the civil rights. She protested courageously against white supremacy and police brutality, features of our society that are still too much in existence. And she did so, this is not as often celebrated about her, from a convicted place about Christ's supremacy his lordship over all of life. We have living close at hand examples. Rondell Trevino and the Immigration Coalition, a mission partner here at Church of the Cross, part of their work is advocacy, petitioning for a more just immigration policy in the United States. Think of the prison founded by Chuck Colson, part of which its work is devoted to criminal justice reform. Just this week, Heidi Crowder, is a 26-year-old woman living in the UK with Down syndrome who is petitioning the government for a change in their policies around abortion that would allow someone like her to be aborted up until birth. Each of these things are part of what it means to be God's people today, are part of what it means to be the church so even as Paul calls for submission to authority, his words here offer tremendous hope. Oppressive authorities are not the last word. Those powers that would dehumanize or degrade are not ultimate. Those in power who would serve themselves and not the common good will be held to account. There is something greater and deeper at work. 
and it is to that greater work, that overstory, to which you and I owe our ultimate allegiance. I've struggled a bit, wrestled a bit in crafting this sermon to know how it is this text might speak, might connect with our lives in anything more than an abstract way. I think some of the principles outlined for us that we've talked about just now are important for us to keep in mind, especially in a context such as ours, where it's so easy to see our government and political realities as ultimate. And frankly, it's important for people such as us who are so very secure that perhaps we might be tempted toward complacency when it comes to our authorities. There is a call upon us that involves contending for, contending with governing authorities for justice, for peace, for our authorities to live and act in line with God's purposes. I've personally been convicted by this passage to consider what does it mean to love my neighbors who are in authority, to speak of governing authorities with love. Politicians are like that one group of people that it's okay to speak degrading things about, aren't they? But what does it mean to act in love toward Governor Abbott, toward Mayor Adler, toward our city council members, the members of our local school boards? What does it mean to act and speak in ways that would honor them as our neighbors made in the image of God? I think the point that I most sense the Lord pressing upon me, however, relates to this idea of his established purposes, to the overstory that God has into which governing authorities and everything else are situated. Most scholars see these first seven verses in Romans 13 as this like interjection into a larger section, beginning in Romans 12 and continuing to the final verse of our reading today, verse 10. The idea is, these scholars have, that that Paul felt the need to say something about governing authorities because he was writing to Christians in the capital. But these sections about, these verses about the state come in the middle of this larger section, this discussion of love. That placement, I think, is illuminating. When we consider God's ordering of creation, what he has established and purposed, we must speak of love. When put against the reality of state and governing authorities, that might seem kind of irrelevant, naive, or weak. But the love of which Paul writes is not a weak or wilting thing. It is central and strong. Because the love that Paul describes here that he calls you and I to is none other than the love of God demonstrated for us in Christ's death on the cross. It's none other than the love that God the Father and God the Son share eternally in the Spirit at the center of all things. Out of this love, the Christian conviction is, all things were made, All things are sustained and all things are being redeemed. I love the quote on the front of your bulletin from the Jesus Storybook Bible. At the center of all things is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Those in Christ are called to let love be sincere, are called to fulfill the debt of love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Because the self-sacrificing strong love of God is at the center of all things. It's at the center of his plans. It is, in a way, the realest thing there is. It is the overstory. 
And it is to this love that our allegiance is owed. The early church, very early after Christ's death upon the cross, began to point to both in Scripture and to elements in the world around them as confirmation of God's loving purposes in the world. They would point to signs to suggest to them, that suggested to them that God's love, his sacrificial love, was at the center of all things. Signs like this legendary belief that a mother pelican would pierce her own breast if needed to feed her own young. They would celebrate signs of the cross on trees and in construction as making clear that Christ's death illuminated something central about the way the world is. The move here wasn't that they now press this sign on all the world around them, but rather what they understood was that something had been unveiled that was already established. They were discovering the logic of things, the centrality of Christ in all creation and God's established purposes, an unveiling of the overstory, God's sacrificial love, a revealing of hidden and established purposes of God that we were made by the love of God, sustained by the love of God, redeemed by and for this love. What am I trying to say? What's the significance of all this? Simply this. The love of God has revealed in Christ's death, news of which comes to us in Scripture, is the rubric by which we can discern the goodness of all things. It's the rubric by which we can consider the goodness of our governing authorities and all things in creation. Are they acting in line with God's created purposes or not? And beyond that, the sacrificial love has become the overstory of our lives. The sacrificial love of God is the rubric by which we might now live When you walk in love, when you endure and persevere in willing the good of your neighbor and your enemy, when you give of yourself for the sake of others, when you forgive and bless those who curse you, when you practice sacrificial hospitality, radical generosity, in even the smallest ways, you are fulfilling the debt of love, the law of love, and you are living in line with the way things are, the way things God has established. It so often doesn't feel that way, right? What is loving so often feels out of step with the way things are. It's easier, it's simpler and more convenient to choose another path of indifference, of self-interest, the path of the closed-off heart. But when we, especially when it is costly, make Christ's redeeming love our theme, the story by which we live, Our lives are brought more and more in line with God's purposes, with the grain of the universe, with the way things truly are and will be. If you are in Christ, if he is yours by faith and baptism, the love of God has been poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit, such that you can now today live in line with the grain of the universe in line with God's established purposes. You can live now as a good citizen, freely giving what is owed, taxes and honor, revenue and respect, but with your ultimate allegiance here in the love of God revealed by Jesus, animated by God's established purposes, 
faithfully loving in the same manner he has loved us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please now stand with me as we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. 